we're starting to record again this class. We uh, stopped formally teaching the class a year ago, and um, it's been quite a year, as you know. We used to talk a lot about prophecy, and we still do, but offline. We're going to try to actually continue in the book of Ecclesiastes. <laughs> but, um, was that book written by Salomon? Yes, it was. Yep, absolutely. And, uh, uh, yep, the Ecclesiastes, the Song of Solomon, and Proverbs. And uh, the wisest man that ever lived, but he had a bad end. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, and, and what, what's nice about the book of Ecclesiastes, it, it really shows a contrite heart. Uh, he's, a, he's been through a lot of things as he's writing this, through all of his experiments, trying to figure out what life is all about. Um, and he, at the end of the day, it's all vanity. It's all useless. And, 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 and so he's amplifying that. And we can see in the notes up until this point last year, because uh, we already started in the book, um, the conclusion of the matter is obey God, keep his commandments, love him with all your heart and your mind and your soul and with all your being. And that's really what he wants. That's this, his sacrifice. And we know in the, in the New Testament, we're told that's the sacrifice that he wants. It's not really any more complicated than that. So, but he goes through this big experiment here, and, and um, that's what this book is about. So we're starting off, we're actually continuing on. Uh, we had started looking at the ten vanities. And again, a year ago, we had an introduction to the book, so of course, we're not going to cover that again. Um, but in the notes, we're starting out on page 212. We've already started going through the ten vanities, and um, we're going to pick up on the fifth one, which is fatalism, uh, which is the, um, the thought that we have no power or influence over our lives now or in the future, that uh, we're pretty much robotic, as it were, that our fate's already or our, our lives are already totally predetermined, and we're going to talk about that. Um, then after that, we have the sixth, which is egoism, the seventh, which is religion, the, the eighth, which is wealth, and the ninth, which is morality. And then the tenth is the actual conclusion of the matter. It's all summed up. This is the progress that we're going to go through here. Having said that, we are going to start now, like I said, with fatalism. So if we go to Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 1 through 15, we're going to use this, uh, we're going to use this scripture here to, to go over this vanity. Um, I'm going to use the Amplified Version. I've used, as you know, in the past, a lot the NIV, and of course I love the King James, so I switched to the King James. And the King James, to me, I'm not one of those King James only, you know, no other, no other thing is the Bible unless it's King James. Um, but I do like it because the more translations I see, personally, the more I see a lot of infiltration of worldly and other uh, thought into it. And I just particularly don't like it. Again, it's all up to whomever listening or, or you people here, of course, whatever translations you use. But so further, to amplify the King James, I like the amplified version, the AMP. And so I'll be using that, especially when it comes to Scripture like this, where there's a lot of thought He's giving, and when when you put the when he puts that thought to to Hebrew, it's one thing, but when you try to interpret it in another language, in the English, it loses a lot. It always does, like Greek or Hebrew, or any language, you, it, especially in the English. I think it can lose a lot, um, unless you were really intentional, not not just interpreting the words and the sentences, but also interpreting the real underlying thought. That's difficult to do. It's, I mean, it, it's difficult to do, but it's it's sometimes not even really done that well in translations that just translate the, the Hebrew to the English as reasonably possible. The Amplified, I think, does a really good job of helping us understand the, the underpinnings 
And when you're talking about these, um, these thoughts that, that he has here, it's good to really understand what he really intended us from his heart to understand in examining all of these things. So that's one of the reasons why I'm using it. So fatalism, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 1. To everything there is a season and a time for every matter or purpose under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to get... Uh, to get and a time to lose, a time to keep, and a time to cast away. This is getting a little repetitive, but I want you to think about what he's trying to do here. Um, verse 8, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Now, this is just stating the unalterable fact that all things run on a foundation of time. We've talked a lot about that in this class. We've talked about it many times, and I hope you see that time is the bed, is the foundation, the truck, uh, the, however you want to call it, the conveyance that re our reality runs on. You cannot have physical existence if it does not run on top of the back of time. And um, so if we, if we think about it, and without time, we can have nothing here. And so that means everything is based on time. We've talked about that a lot. So what he's saying here, time is a key component in all things in this, in this and I'll say in this universe, because we cannot compare the function of the physical universe with heaven. And we don't even know a lot about heaven because I don't even, I mean, I know, I'm sure, that we couldn't understand it. It's sort of like trying to understand the Trinity, Elohim. Um, what does that mean? Well, we know in essence, in the physical sense, it's three persons in one, so tightly integrated, they act totally as one. And the closest thing that we should have to that by God's design in this physical uh, creation among human beings is marriage. Right? And when it's two flesh shall become one. But even in the physical sense, and because we're human beings, we can't experience it to that level even in marriage. But you see my point, right? So he's given us physical representations of how it is in the heavenlies, where marriage is supposed to be as close to oneness as any two people can get. But it's only a, a foreshadow of the Trinity, which we will understand when we finally see him as he is. Same thing with time. We don't know how eternity works. We know things move along in some sort of time. But so we have to focus on time here and as part of what this, this foundation was talking about. So in this physical dispensation, there is a time or appointed time to do certain things. As a matter of fact, I can even tell you that this is what he's saying here because we know that God uses the cycles <laughs> of time to show us his plan like all of the holy days, all of those appointed times, which we typically call <coughs> the Jewish holy days. They're not really Jewish holy days. And of course, we've gone through that an awful lot in this class in, in, when we went through Genesis and forward. Um, so that's really what he's saying here. Man must map into this time or this paradigm. And it does not matter whether one is a believer in Christ or not. This is a general rule and time will have its way. And if you look at everything he just said here, he's just making an observation. It is, it is for everybody, not just... Jews or for us as Christians, it's for everybody. There is really no other than this basic message to be gleaned from these verses. And this is the key. Some people believe that, they, or they think that what he's saying here and what we just read is that everything is, 
is really predetermined to the point that war will start on a particular day at a particular time, you know, or let's see, um, something must be planted because God said that the so, you know, he already predetermined in eternity past that if you're a farmer and you're going to plant seed on this day that you have to do it on that day. You, you know what I'm saying? People really get to this fatalistic point and that's not what he's trying to say here. So I caution against trying to trying to squeeze this humanistic thought into scripture because what it does is think about what what one who believes that is saying that there is no free will and and that's a very dangerous thing it's sort of like what we christians look at when we think of predestination where does free will end or begin let's put it this way where does free will begin and where does the sovereignty of god interface with it right this is a question that we're never going to be answered, uh, never going to be able to answer satisfactorily in this time, in this world, in this physical existence. And that's a good thing because it shows the intent of the heart. If we don't know, if I have to go drink some water right now, did God make me do it or did I make myself do it? Well, I think I made myself do it. I don't think God cares what color of the socks I put on in the morning because I mismatched them. So if he cared, he wouldn't let me do that maybe. Or maybe he wants me to mismatch them because he's got a purpose in it. You see what I'm saying? Okay, but, but there are people who believe that. My point is we have to be intentional about our lives. There is a time and a season for everything, but we have to be intentional to observe that, just like, again, with those holy days. We don't have to observe them the way Israel does, the way they did in physical law, but isn't it a good idea to know them and what they mean? Right, exactly, especially because we've covered them in this class well, a few years ago now. But we're seeing, if you notice how we're getting toward the end of, of the age, how many more people have you even maybe heard that never used to think about the holy days and now are starting to talk about when the rapture might happen and how the holy days may map into, you know, the Feast of Trumpets and, and oh, let's see, you know, the beginning of, uh, like Rosh Hashanah, the beginning of the Civil uh, New Year. We're hearing more about that now than ever before. So people are starting to look at these things. But there are appointed times. Now, we do know that God does have an exact day and time when this, the church is going to be brought back home and the tribulation will start. By the way, like I've said before, the church leaving does not mean that the tribulation starts the next day. It doesn't mean that at all. It could be years before the tribulation actually starts. It could be months. We don't know. And that's okay. That's a good thing. But... This is what he's trying to, to, to make the point here, I believe. Christians must be cautious because if we read something into these verses, we risk becoming fatalistic. And that's the key. Error, erring toward the doctrine that all events are subject to fate or inevitable predetermination. And that is wrong. That is, well, let's put it this way. It is wrong, I truly believe, it does, that God does not do things to that granularity as far as planning our lives. You know, like, when am I going to blink? Every time I blink, he planned it? No. But even if he did, and I just don't know it, by Scripture and by the way he deals with us, we are not supposed to live that way. We're supposed to live intentional and do things when we know to do them and not do things when we know not to do them, right? There's a time for everything, and that's the point. We must always take into account the constant tension that we each, each must continually resolve the sovereignty of God versus man's responsibility. And that's the point. Verse 9 in chapter 3. Um, what profit remains for the worker from his toil? 
I have seen the painful labor. Now, again, this is him saying it in the first person. I have seen the painful labor and exertion and miserableness, uh, sorry, miserable business which God has given to the sons of men, which with, which with to exercise and busy themselves. Isn't that interesting? He has made everything beautiful in its time. He also has planted eternity in man's hearts and minds, a divinely implanted sense of a purpose working through the ages which nothing under the sun but God alone can satisfy. Now that's the amplification from the Amplified Version. Yet, in a way, so that men cannot find or figure out what God has done from the beginning to the end. And I think it's because we are bound to experience existence in linear tick-by-tick tick time. He has left us, think about this, if it were not for Scripture to help us understand the intent of His heart and where He's going with this, and even with Scripture aiding us, He has left us a lot of ambiguity in knowing exactly what we should do, in knowing exactly to the gran high granularity His plan for us because we have to work in concert with Him, and the only way we can do it is to know His Word and know the general plan. As the Holy Spirit interfaces with each of us to know what He wants us to do with the gifts we have and what He doesn't want us to do with the gifts that we have or don't have, right? This moment-by-moment moment living in, in, under His sovereign hand, but having free will to determine that we will stick to His Word and stick to learning and stick to what the Holy Spirit prompts us to do and not do, to live moment by moment. And if we were fatalistic in this, if this were where we could just say God does everything, then we're, we're actually being irresponsible in living. And I think that's what this is pointing out. It's a cop-out to say, I cannot make any decisions. God does everything for me. That's a cop-out. It's a very dangerous position to be in. Um, let's see, verse 11. Okay, I read that. So to add to the amplified ver offered version or amplified Amplification offered in the Amplified Bible, it seems also that eternity is placed in the man's heart and in that all humans, every one of us, again, not just Christians or Jews, but all humans, have a sense that it is the temporal nature, that the temporal nature of life is unnatural, that the concept of eternity is more suited to life. Think of this, right? How many people, and I've said this recently, how many people all talk about forever? You notice people talk about my forever home, or I'll feel, I'd love to feel this way forever, or I'm going to not change my mind, I'm going to think this way forever. Everybody knows they're going to die one day. Everybody knows that there was a time when they weren't here. And we see in this book, especially in Ecclesiastes, because we've sampled it before and we're going to sample it again, that everyone experiences the fact that just because you're here doesn't make you all that important. Even the king himself, because when you're gone, you're going to leave everything to everybody else anyway, and they're going to do as they please with it, and no one will remember you. After a while, who even thinks about Solomon? Who thinks about King David most of the time, other than a Jew or maybe us because we know Scripture? right? But who thinks about the other kings? Can you name all of the kings of Israel? I can't. Can you name all of the presidents? I don't really even care. I don't. You, well, maybe you, that's good. That's actually a skill. <laughs> I feel bad now. Maybe I should know. <laughs> My point is, okay, name all the czars in Russia. How about that? Or all, all the emperors of China. <laughs> in the end of the day, what I'm, the point I'm saying is it's a good thing to know these things, but the point is, is that it doesn't matter for each human being. We're here for a moment and we're gone, just like 
the, the summer grass. So that's the point here. But we, it's unnatural for human beings because we do have eternal life. Every human being is going to live forever. It just depends on where you're going to do it. And that's, see, that's the other lie. If we don't believe, if we didn't, God didn't build in, not that we don't believe, if God didn't build in this concept of knowing that there's something beyond this time, tick, 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 linear time. You weren't here, you're here, you do stuff, and you die, and you leave everything, right? If we couldn't understand that, I mean, in the context of that, it's, it, that there is also an eternity, that there's a concept of eternal, eternal life, even for people who don't understand Christianity, right? Don't understand God. And that's why they make up all of these cults. That's why they're prime targets for Satan, because Satan has a version of eternity for everybody. Right? And we went into the occult a lot in this class. So, and one last point about this is that you know that animals have no concept of time. Like a dog doesn't know that it wasn't here before. And I know that the dogs we have, they think that the world started when they got here and the world owes them a living <laughs> just because they're here, right? And what they want, they want now because the world owes it to them and everything, everything's important to them because, right? I know some kids are like that. <laughs> Some adults are like that too. Um, and they have no clue that they're going to pass away one day. Matter of fact, they could be in the process of dying and have no clue that they're dying. There's some people like that. Well, that's true too. Yeah. Matter of fact, isn't that funny? Because all of us are dying. And some people don't even want that. Again, that, actually, that's a very good point. Because all of us are dying. And that's why he did this experiment, because the scriptures are telling us this is the human experience. This is what's great about scripture. It's not just all about God and where he lives and God and what he thinks. It is, but I mean, he condescends to us to also show us how he designed us. And he's giving us here through Solomon's eyes. He understands what it's like to be human. He is telling us why he designed us this way. And how to cope with being human. This is what's so beautiful about the three books that Solomon wrote. Right? If you look at Ecclesiastes and you look at the Song of Solomon, which we will cover soon, and also the book of Proverbs, which we covered in detail a couple of years ago now, it is amazing that these three books, among others, but I look at these three books as the, the benchmark of, okay, folks, I made you in my image. What does that mean to be human? This is what it means. And how do you cope with it? How do you cope with it? Um, let's see, verse 12. I know that there is nothing better for them than to be glad and to get and to do good as long as they live. This is in the context of labor. Um, and uh, the fact that we cannot know what God has done, uh, everything we can. I mean, he just said that. That was the point. Verse 13. And also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is a gift from God. Amen? Amen? So, you know, whether you're a janitor or whether you're a president, someone that I forgot, <laughs> whether you are um, a captain of industry, a banker, a race car driver, it doesn't matter. Have you seen, matter of fact, you just brought to my mind these, these football players, the Christian football players, who who really say, matter of fact, what was the movie? What, 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 there was a movie that, that said something which is very key, and I, and I believe this is so wonderful. It was about a movie about a runner. And he said, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. It was a Chariots of Fire. I was thinking that. I wasn't sure. How about this? When I work on computers, 
which is what I do for a living. I don't work on them so much now, but I teach them a lot, right? I teach. I love to teach. As you can see, I, this is what God built me to do. And he's given me jobs that involve teaching technology. I love technology, and I love teaching about technology. And I feel God's pleasure when I'm teaching. I feel God's pleasure that he's given me the ability to understand at least something, because I can't understand any of this without the Holy Spirit like you can't. But then why does he have teachers and students? Why does he have pastors and people who are not pastors like me? I love to teach, but he's not called me to be a pastor. Some people he has called just to serve in other ways, which has nothing to do with teaching. Why? Because we're supposed to feel God's pleasure in what he built us to do and do for a living. So isn't it ironic how we look at the world, and this is correct, that remember that the fall of Adam and Eve, right? Remember the curse for Adam was... Oh, yeah, you'll still be able to eat, Adam, but the ground is going to be, 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 uh, be begrudging in giving up its food for you. And even Jesus, and I said this before, I firmly in my heart of hearts believe that Jesus wore a, cor a crown of thorns. Because if you remember the curse, being human, to, to, to do what is necessary, you're going to get your food from thorns and thistles, right? It is a thorn to be human and to be able to experience pain and tiredness and fatigue. And yet in all of this, we have to work, right? There's some days I don't want to go to work. I'm tired, but I have to. There are some days when I used to be a technician and I used to get called out 3 o'clock in the morning with a pager. I had to go. I couldn't stop it. I could quit the job and not have to go, but then, of course, I'm going to create more pain. You see what I'm saying? It's amazing. It is amazing. So let's see. Um, let's see. What did I leave off here? Hey, okay, so it is a gift from God. Verse 14. I know that whatever God does, it endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor taken away from it. That is great. Matter of fact, we warned about that in Scripture for Scripture as well because that's what, that's God's, that's what His handiwork is. And God does it so that men will reverently fear Him, revere and worship Him, knowing that He is. Or how about this? Knowing that when he says he is, it's actually I am. And you know, only the Holy Spirit can reveal that to him, to us, to me, to you. When Jesus says, I am, and the, the Roman soldiers get pushed back. Remember that in the New Testament? How about, how did God identify himself to Moses when Moses says, uh, okay, um, I got my sandals off, I'm on holy ground, you've really scared me here with this burning bush that doesn't get consumed, and you're talking pretty loud, and, and I'm pretty nervous, um, and you're going to send me back there where I killed an Egyptian, uh, and uh, uh, who shall I say sent me <laughs> to Pharaoh? He didn't say Yahweh, right? He didn't say Elohim. He didn't say Yahshua because Yahshua hadn't even come to Yahshua yet, so it was, it was Yahweh, right? But whatever, all of the names of God, he just said, I am that I am. Didn't Popeye also say that, that blasphemer? <laughs> What's wrong with them? I am that I am. But you see the point here, right? Although God's will is primary, fatalism leaves no place for his mercy. How about that? Who needs mercy when you can't do anything wrong? Or if you do something wrong, it's God's will, right? How about those who think it's God's will or Allah's will to murder infidels? Oh, by the way, you can determine whoever you want to be an infidel because they're going to even kill themselves. If you're a Shiite, you think an infidel is a, a Sunni and vice versa, right? 
They said that they will knock on the, on the gates of heaven with the skulls of, of Jews. That's what they do. And that this pleases Allah. How about the Freemasons who are, say they're free and accepted? Oh, yeah, but the problem is who accepted you? Because it wasn't the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Right? But anyway, we're free and we're accepted because we have Jesus Christ's blood on us that we cover. That we, but we had to take that on. So was it God's will that I took that on? If God didn't determine that I should make that decision, I don't know the answer to that. That's a predestination question. But I do know that he offered it to me. I studied for years. I finally became a Christian. He put me on the circuitous route. Just like, look, you have the same kind of stories, right? All I know is I am here, and I am glad where I am. And I know that he, like he said to Jeremiah, I knew you before you were in your mother's womb. Or maybe he said it about himself, but you know what I'm saying. So we know these things. So it's not even the right question to ask. How about that? How about that? I'm not even going to say, I'm going to ask, is it God's will anymore? Other than when I know I need to make a decision. But I'm going to walk through life being intentional. Doing what I know to do at any given time. And doing what I know not to do at any given time. And of course, repenting if I mess up either one. Because that shows his mercy. That's what I have to be concerned about. That's what you have to be. That's why he arranged it like this. And I think this is a great study in that. Although God's will is primary, fatal, leaves no, okay, and grace as, it leaves no place for his mercy and grace as God does listen to and answer the prayers of his own people. He does maintain, he does maintain the fine balance between his sovereignty and man's responsibility. So even in that, where you and I can't know where one ends and the other begins in any given moment, in any given day, he does, and he keeps that balance. And, there, and just the fact that I know that there's a balance means that they're both the components exist, right? If it was all God and none of me, if it was total fatalism, then there's no need for mercy, and there's no need for grace, right? But I know that he keeps a balance here because I wouldn't need forgiveness if I didn't have the ability to make a decision to sin. And by the way, didn't Solomon make some decisions that were pretty wrong? In fact, what we're going to do as a little exercise when we finish the book of Ecclesiastes, we are going to go through briefly First and Second Kings, where it chronicles this man's life. Just We're going to touch upon it. I'm not going to go through the whole book, but I'm going to call out some, because I was thinking about that this morning when I was preparing this lesson. It would be good to understand what this man, how he started, and how he failed. And it's all there. This man who wrote these wonderful books that, that we're going through right now, or this wonderful book we're going through right now. Okay. Verse 15. That which is now already has been, and that which is to be already has been, and God seeks that which has passed by so that history repeats itself. Isn't that interesting? God uses, you notice how, I remember I said this, hello, this is brought back to me a couple of weeks ago when I had said, when I was talking about, and I know it's not recorded, so this is a recording now, but we talked about the difference between infinity and eternity. And um, I can't get into it now, maybe I'll do a special segment, but there is a grave difference. Infinity basically is the never-ending repetitive cycle of the same thing over and over and over and over again. And it rides on top of the back of time. It's Satan's version of eternity. 
that he promises those who will be as God and listen to him and take the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And with all of these blessings that he's going to give them, the false blessings, they'll have a false eternity too, right? What do you think hell is going to be? It's going to be the same thing, if you want to say, day after day, moment by moment. Will there be anything new? No. There'll be suffering and pain and people eating each other, however they're going to do down there, and it's never going to change. However, we do know, because God says in Scripture, of eternity with Him, and the increase of His government, there shall be no end. It's an increase. It's not the same thing over and over again. Right now, we look through a glass darkly. But we see evidence, especially what I just told you, of what, if, what eternity will be like in God. He never stops improving and building. And what, matter of fact, eternity is not going to kick in for us again, really, until we have the new heavens and the new earth, which is promised. And that's going to be the beginning of the, at the end of all of this. You know, when we're raptured, we're going to be changing our form. We'll be able to see God be with Jesus for eternity, and that's good. That's what we want, and, and have our resurrected bodies, okay? But the earth is still going to be here the way it is now. Think of that. Entropy is still entropy. War is still war. The tribulation must go, and then we're going to have a 1,000 years of rebuilding, but it's not the new heaven and new earth when he comes back, right? It's going to be the, all that is is the prophesied Fulfill, or the fulfillment of the prophesied kingdom of the Jew because what nation will be the head of the nations when the church is gone? Israel under Jesus Christ sitting on that throne of David and the Davidic covenant which will be completed when he has and when he's here for the thousand years and guess who's going to rule and reign with him? Us. But he's going to be rebuilding the same old work or world and the infrastructure here and it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be like paradise. But remember Paradise is a physical type of heaven, in my opinion, because I've said this before, that God made paradise on earth for Adam and Eve, but it wasn't the whole earth. It was just a place where the garden of God, was, which was mineral-based, right? We went through this where it says in Scripture that Satan walked among the fiery stones in the garden of God. It must be beautiful. Well, you put that kind of garden and, and physical beauty of plants and flowers and fruit and things that man can consume and that can support the earth, the ecosystem of the earth, and you make it perfect, but it was only a small spot. And just as, as Satan was kicked out of the presence of God and his throne and his garden when he sinned, what happened when Adam sinned and Eve sinned? They got kicked out of the presence of God in his garden. It's the same thing. So, that's it. And that's it. The infinity versus eternity. Also, by the way, one, one other point is just uh, infinity uh, can be also a linear progression. It doesn't necessarily have to be a, a repeating cycle. But again, it's a linear impression, a, a progression that supposedly goes forever, but you, it's on the back of time. It's not natural. It's not eternity. And it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen that way. We know eternity is very different than what we have here. So let Satan have his, have his thing. But while we're here, the curse, part of the curse is this recurring cycle. And we just saw that God intended it that way. By the way, remember we said that the law is judgment? The law is actually a curse because it's a yardstick that no one can live up to. Okay? Only when it's spiritual or lived in spirit and in truth and as completed in Jesus Christ right, can we actually keep the law because it's put in our hearts. Right? 
So it's the same thing with these holy days. It's this yearly recurring cycle year after year. How about all of the, remember all of the temporal liturgy? How many times did they do that? Every year. They went through this whole thing. And every day, I mean, they had 50,000 priests cycling through this temple. But they did the same things all the time. They had to bake the showbread. They had a, the menorah had to be kept lit, right? They had to use the servant lamp. We've gone through all of how all of that worked a couple of years ago now. But it's the same thing over and over and over. And at the end of every year, what did it accomplish? It didn't complete the task because it was a foreshadow. And every year you had to go from the Passover all the way through again. And then you stop. And then you go through all the way through again and you stop. Actually, you never stop. But it's this cycle. That's a curse. It's showing you that no matter how many times. Like I say, what's, what's the definition of crazy? <laughs> uh, doing the same thing over and over again. Isn't that great? And expecting, expecting different results. That's right. That's even better. I forgot about that part. That's right. That's yeah, the definition that's, of crazy. That's the, that's the point of it. That's the key point. Yeah, that's the key point. So, um, you know, isn't that interesting? Because you actually, that's right, you completed the thought, which is exactly what that is. But Israel was always expecting something to change. I, I think they didn't even keep the law right. from year to year. They didn't. Yeah. So what would change? <laughs> they sinned. They sinned, and they kept on getting smacked for it. And by the way, the big smack is coming, right? The tribulation. Yeah. Mike, um, um, when the Solomon says nothing um, is no under the sun. Yes. Uh, I don't know. I understand that as as supposed, uh, including technology. Mm -hmm. Everything was here before. It, it's like uh, history repeats itself. Well, yeah. I don't. I think. I think maybe. I think I see what you're saying, and, and technology where it always promises something brand new and something better, and sometimes you think it does, right? Like for instance, before there was electricity, you still needed light, so you burnt candles, or before the, you, know, you, you, you had a source of light. So the technology gave you a better way of doing the same thing. Yeah, but there's not only technology. When he says um, uh, nothing is new under the sun, that means everything that that existed today has existed in before. some form before absolutely like for instance you need that you have the need to cook right you still have to eat you still have to grow crops technology supposedly makes that easier better faster but you still have to do it it doesn't stop you from having to eat that's what transhumanism is supposed to do it's supposed to change humanity change times and seasons by the way isn't the antichrist going to do that he's going to try to do something new by changing these cyclical things so I, I, hopefully, I think that's what you're trying to say. You're right. There's nothing new under that the sun. Everything that everything, everything that existed before since Adam and Eve is existing now. Matter of fact, since the fall, right, we have wars, rumors of wars, yeah. earthquakes, pestilences. Is this new? It's just, the, like it's just right. But, but the thing is, is what happens is every cycle is a more amplified version. It's like, look at all the versions of Antichrist. We've talked about this before, right? Some of the most prominent were Napoleon, Titus, Antiochus Epiphanes, Hitler. But you notice Mao Zedong. But you notice how they get worse and worse over time. And the very last, most efficacious one that we had was Hitler. He was better than, or worse than, depending on how you look at it, all of them. So what's going to happen when the next cycle of this big Antichrist figure coming in? Could it be the real one that's coming next? Probably, I don't know. But we do know that the next worldwide, and we're coming to a one world government. 
By the way, haven't they been doing this for ever since Adam and Eve sinned? Trying. Everybody wants to rule the world. There's nothing new under the sun. So you're right. It's just cycles of the same thing over and over again. But that's the reason why he destroyed the world with, uh, with a flood. Yeah, next time he's going to do it with fire. <laughs> so still going to do it. Matter of fact, we see that in Second Peter. It says, knowing that the world is destined, this whole world is destined for destruction. By the way, isn't that adding to this whole concept of vanity? Everything that is done under the sun, by the way, the sun is a metaphor, right? The sun gives life to everything on this planet. And so in a, in a metaphoric way, you can think this, this, as the sun, as the source. Now, listen, now don't hear me right. I'm not saying this is the source, like God, the source. But life cannot exist the way God designed it in the physical sense without the sun. So that's why people worship the sun, because they look at the sun as this necessary thing that without the sun, you can't grow crops and you can't have water. You can't have wind and rain. You can't have it. You won't have anything, right? Everything will be absolute zero. So the point is, is that when he uses the metaphor in scripture, I really believe when you, he talks about everything under the sun, it's like everything that has, that's existing, that has, that's either man-driven or driven by man or animals or everything we do, everything animal, everything that's done under the sun because God is above his creation and beyond it. So he's talking about everything under the sun is creation and everything that's done in the context of creation. Does that make sense? And it's all cyclical. It's a curse. So it seems like we are living in the times of Noah. Well, yeah. What did Jesus, yeah, that's right. <laughs> and what did Jesus... Right. And isn't that... So when Jesus said in, in Matthew 24 and in Luke, and he says, well, what will be the sign of your t coming in the end of the age, right? Now, let's see. There will be wars and rooms of wars. There will be earthquakes and pestilences, right? And then he's also said, but by the way, see that you don't really be tr too troubled yet because this is only, these are only the beginning of the birth pangs, the beginning of sorrows. Well, how can you even quantify that? Because you've had these throughout history. So how do we know when they're at the point of, 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 of whatever critical mass is going to be an indicator of how close we are? You can't. That's the point. However, when we, when we look at history, right, when we look at pestilences and earthquakes, yes, there was the Black Plague. And there were other pestilences, right? But, but what's coming now? Maybe with Ebola. Maybe it won't be. I don't know. But we see that as they progress, just like we talked about the types of Antichrist, the four types get, get worse and worse. So that's what Jesus is talking about. Watch the trends. And when it gets really critical, when it looks like, and by the way, with technology, we know earthquakes where they happen all over the world. So it wasn't that they weren't happening all over the world back then. And they weren't even happening at this magnitude, probably. But, no but there was no way to know it. How do you know? I mean, really, if you didn't, I didn't have the news and the Internet, because the news doesn't give you much anyway these days, right? How would you even know that the Fukushima earthquake happened? I mean, the, the, uh, you know, the Fukushima happened. How would you know? How, you wouldn't. I didn't feel it. I wouldn't know. So you see, when I'm, I'm wars are rumors of wars. Now, with real-time streaming, like from, from Reuters and others, right, you can see things that are... You remember, when, matter of fact, in the last Hamas and, and Israel uh, conflagration, there was live feeds. And you could see the drones all night. You could watch. And it's like bombs going off. It's like, how would you know what was going on around the world, whether there were wars, wars or not? Now, again, the world was smaller in those days, too. There was people. So you have to look at it that way and say, okay, what did Jesus mean? Well... When it gets to the point where you know what's going on all around the world, because what did he say about the church's job? And the gospel shall be preached all around the world, and then the end shall come. 
So I look at it that way. We, can't, we couldn't possibly preach the gospel around the world, especially as the world expanded, until we had technology. So we can't possibly know all of the signs or how they're occurring and increasing until we have technology. So there's a point of convergence where technology and events start ringing that bell. We gotta be close. But that's why he leaves it ambiguous because we're not supposed to know the day or the hour. That's why you have these people, these fools who set dates. 88 reasons why the rapture should happen in 1988. 89 reasons why it should happen in 1989. How about 20, 2015 reasons for the, you know, the, the time it's going to happen in 2000? Who knows? Because, because we're not supposed to do that. But this is my point. These are just references. Okay? So, but this recurring cycle, all of these things we talked about, the very essence, how prophecy works. We just have to watch. And that's why we're commanded to watch. And you know what? Think of this. My, 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 my last point here on this part. How can you watch, number one, if you're not looking, okay, but let's say you're looking. You can only watch as far as your instance, as, as the current technology allows you at any given time. Does that make sense? And, and Satan uses that too, but my point is let's not talk about that. Let's talk about what, what we're here to talk about is, is the command to watch these the cycles and see when the end is coming and how you could possibly... No, because first of all, there's recorded history, you know, as far as documented history goes. And then there's history that's hearsay or that's written in the Bible. But you don't really know the details, right? Because before the technology of pen and ink or the printing press, there was just stories handed down from one person to the other, right? Now, that's reliable to some extent, but you can't tell, right? So then when you had technology that allowed a persistent storage of historical information, like the printed word, like writing, like script. Then you have a document that somebody actually wrote, and you can look back on that and say, this actually happened because this person wrote it. So at least this is his interpretation of what happened. Like I told you, they found a piece of a hieroglyph, uh, a papyrus rather, a couple of years ago, maybe it's three or four years ago now. It's, it's, it's just a little fragment. And they, they said, now again, I remember thinking about it, and I don't remember the circumstances around it now, but I remember thinking about it, and it was really old, and it said something about some Egyptian writing down in, in cuneiform, or whatever they, whatever they wrote in, that um, observing the pillar of fire leading Israel around as they were leaving Egypt, and thinking it was a curse on these people because of the curses that came upon the land because of you know, the plagues, so this, this man's interpretation was that this was an evil force just getting, uh, or a good force, for, uh, a force for, for on, on Egypt's side, to get rid of these people by just leading them out, getting them out of the land, like a purging uh, some kind of locusts from their land. Because remember, they worshipped Pharaoh. To them, Pharaoh was a god, and he had these magicians who could do these magic tricks. Because Satan, so this guy probably believed that this was finally the magician's overtaking these evil people who were consuming. And let's face it, Israel was growing and consuming everything. And then the plagues came. It's like, go away. But this is a piece of documented history? Okay. But let's move forward. How about newspapers and all the things written from the time the printing press happened, took place? 
Now we can look back and have historical data that's detailed. And you notice one thing about printed word and newspapers and even computers and things that, that document things. It's as fresh as the day it was written. Think of that. There is no degradation in the information if it's printed and you can get a copy of it. That's like if I tell you something, it's probably going to be erroneous from the last time I heard it. You know, the old thing where I tell you something and by the time you get it to somebody else, it's different. But if I hand you a book, the only difference between me and you at that point is personal interpretation. That's it. That's it. See my point? So with all of the technology, including the technology to reliably store persistent data in forms that are usable at any given time, we have a lot of persistent data now, don't we? Now we can judge what was known before and what is known now. Uh, we're good on time. I'm, I'm watching here. Okay. Let's go to egoism. Self-interest and excessive love for self. Hmm. Ever been there? I'd be lying if I say I haven't, and I'm still fighting it. Right? Someone want to fight me for it, too, but that's beside the point. Okay. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 16 through 4 in verse 16. So this is about self-interest and excessive love. Let's see what his experiments... By the way, I think it sounded like he was pretty self-interested, self-loved here. Matter of fact, look at David. Look at others. Look at people... what he means by ex excessive love. Well, because you're supposed to... Like, okay, actually, that's a very good question. We are told in Scripture, okay, like by Paul, to never think more highly, right, or less of yourself than you ought. You see? And I think you bring up a good point, Felicia, because let's talk about that for a second. People think that, you know, humbleness means like, I'm a worm, I am no good, okay? I'm a filthy rag because God tells me so. You know, it's like, uh, uh, let's see, God don't make no junk. Well, he doesn't. But he also says that our righteousness is, in human form is, a, is as filthy rags. I mean, that's pretty bad, right? It's as good as dross. <laughs> this is a nice way of saying something that's particularly worthless. And particularly nasty. So people think that if they live, that's sort of like a works-based religion. But people think, like the monks and the people who self-flagellate, they, they beat themselves into, and they, you ever see these in Latin America somewhere? They have, yeah. it's like, I am so humble, I can almost bring myself to the point of death because I am a worthless scum. And that's the way God wants me because that's the definition of humbleness, right? I am totally worthless. No, that's not what God wants. So you're just hurting yourself for nothing. But you see, in the human mind for works, like we look at works as religion. That's, we're going to get into that, not tonight, but soon. This, the point of religion here, because that's a big key. So this is a big deal here. Some people think that they must be so downtrodden and live like this, and they don't even, some people won't even, you know, make themselves pretty enough to be presentable. They'll just walk around like this because I'm godly. Well, you know, that sounds funny on the tape, I mean, on the recording. <laughs> but can you picture what I look like? Because you've never seen me if you've only logged into this website. <laughs> I don't look so good. That's but <laughs> my point is, that doesn't please God. That's not what I understand uh, humbleness. That's right. But some, what I'm saying is some people do, right? Yeah. So we have to be very careful about that. So self-interest, there's a healthy self-interest. 
there is a healthy self. We were made to defend ourselves, right? We were made to feel pain and want to avoid pain, even emotional pain. We were made, in fact, we just read, right? We just read that we are to labor and feel God's pleasure in it. We're worth something. And it's these... Take care of ourselves. That's right. That's right. And, it, and you wouldn't take care of anything that was worthless. That's the point. So it is actually, I, I don't have to say, I think, I know because of what we read in Scripture, it is actually slapping God in the face when we, when we think, or not we, anybody who's, a, who's supposedly a Christian, and they could be a Christian, I'm just saying, in to make themselves more acceptable from God, I, can't, I am just worthless. No, you're actually hurting God because He didn't make you worthless. He made you to do something. And he made you to do well in it, to be blessed, to be blessed. That's why people, some people say, well, you can't be wealthy. You can't be well-to-do. Oh, yes, you can. Matter of fact, we're just going to talk about that, too. There's nothing wrong with wealth. There's nothing wrong with being ingenious enough or whatever it takes to create wealth because you could also create jobs for other people and feed them, right? Make the world a better place, at least as best you can. You can also do all those things and, and be, do the opposite, make the world a worse place, right? So what's the point? The point is, is which one of self-interest is good and which of the same things is bad in self-interest, right? Look at Napoleon or Hitler or Titus or Antiochus Epiphanes or Herod, especially Herod, Agrippa, the second. Which one was alive when Christ was? Agrippa, yeah. But was there a number with him or just Agrippa? Just a moment? Okay. Oh, he had Agrippa, all right. <laughs> so when we went to Israel, right? Remember this, Rachel? When we went to Israel, we heard about what he had done and all of these things and, and, you know, the, and the Herods himself. This guy was amazingly smart. He was so ingenious, I, I could not even begin to think how he thought of these aqueducts, designing all of these. Do you remember the uh, Herodian stones where he, he had them designed with a certain... It's like, really? This man was so smart. He was so gifted. But look what he did with it. Because he did everything in total self-interest. Remember that spectrum we talked about? On the far end of the spectrum on the left is total psychosis, total selfishness. Satan's the poster boy for the end of that spectrum. You can't get any far left than that. Then the far right of the spectrum is total selflessness. Who's the poster boy for that? Jesus. So all of us, every human being who ever lived, fits somewhere in the middle, is somewhere in there, right? But we fit somewhere in there. So we could be worse than we are, always. We could be better than we are, always. So we're supposed to strive to be better than we are now. But that is self-interest. There's nothing wrong with that. So this is a long answer to a short question. Okay. So here it is. So, and moreover, I saw, verse 16, I saw under the sun the place of judgment, that wickedness was there, and the place of righteousness, that iniquity was there. This is a cynical point of view that all men are wicked and that no one can be trusted. Well, it's maybe cynical, but it's accurate, right? Think of that. And moreover, I saw under the sun the place of judgment. This whole earth, anything under the sun, that wickedness was there. That's true. And what does God say about the heart? It's continually wicked and continually deceitful. Who can even determine how deceitful the heart is? It's just an observation. And the place of righteousness, that iniquity was there. So I think what he's saying here also is that even in places of righteousness, like what we would call our churches today, or what Israel then would have called the temple, places that righteousness was supposed to be and take place at, what did we see? Anybody read the book of Ezekiel? 
right? Remember when he pulls Ezekiel almost like by the scruff of the neck and shows him what's going on inside that temple? Places of righteousness where iniquity abounds? This, I think that's what he's saying here. So he's accurate. Everywhere, everything that man, the sole of man's foot touches, <laughs> it's going to be wicked there. So in verse 17 he says, I said in mine heart, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time there for every purpose and for every work. Isn't that amazing? God lets wickedness as well as righteousness run its course. And he, so he just said that, right? And everywhere you go, in the righteous places and even in the non-righteous places where there's judgment, there's iniquity. And God allows them both for a time. And that's, that's why, why do good, bad things happen to good people? Or someone say, well, why did God allow my mother to die of cancer or my husband to die from a bus accident or, you know, or, or, or something? There's the answer right here. Because there's a time and a place, which means there's a purpose. Now, anything that God allows to exist in time, whether it's good or evil, there's a purpose. And we know, we know that and all things work for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose, whatever that might be. Six minutes left. Actually, almost seven, so I'm going to grab every second I can. All right. Verse 17, okay. Um, verse 18. I said in mine heart concerning the estate of the sons of men that God might manifest them and that they might see that they themselves are beasts. Good. Show us the truth, God. For that which befalls the sons of men befalls beasts. Even one thing befalls them, and that one thing is death. So one dieth the other, so dieth the other. Yes, they have all one breath. We all breathe the breath of, breath of life. We're all physical. We all have DNA. We're all flesh. So that a man has no preeminence over a beast. For all is useless. There's a lesson here. An object lesson here. And he further expands it in verse 20. All go unto one place. All are of the dust, and all turn to dust again. No matter what we do, we're headed for the grave. <laughs> but we know what goes after the grave for us. And we're going to have our bodies back in a resurrected form. That's no promise for anybody else, unless they're a Christian, unless they have Christ. Verse 21. Who knows the spirit of man that goes upward and the spirit of the beast that goes down to the earth? Wherefore, I perceive that there is nothing better. So I guess I should read this in a different way. So in all of this, looking at every, every beast and every man, humans who are made in the image of God, just like beasts who are just here for the maintenance of the earth and for food and for our own pleasure and, and, and so forth, right? Who knows? Says they all go under one place. Out of dust you came, and yes. unto dust you shall return. Well, what he uh, I'm going to explain. Beast. Yeah, I'm going to read it a different way. So uh, you're right. I just want to say, because what he's saying here in this context, he's looking at life, and it ends in death. Right? Everything ends in death. He looks at his own splendor. He looks at his own, his father's splendor, and all the things, good and bad, that happened. Right? He looks at everything around him, all of this experimentation, and he says. Even, even those who don't do anywhere or who could not accomplish anything nearly like he did, right? Just the average Jew walking around or the average Joe walking around. They're all going to end in death. Even the dog that is in his, in his home as one of his pets. Even the horse in his stable, his most prized horse. How about the lambs and, and, and the, uh, the, 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 the insects? 
they're all going to die. Everyone will return <laughs> to the dust that they came from. So this is sort of like creating a, a thought of like, then there's no sense to any of this, right? Doesn't matter how great you are. Doesn't matter how poor you are, how bad you are. Doesn't matter whether you're human or an animal. You're all going from dust you came, from dust you'll return. So what he's saying here in that context, who knows the spirit of man that goes upward? Who can even tell? Who has that concept that they can tell that other than he's knowing that from what he knows of God, that the spirit of man goes upward, and after that, you, you don't have any consciousness. You, know, you can't tell that until you die, until you pass that threshold. That's what he's saying, right? So who knows the spirit of man that go upward than the spirit of the beast that goes down to the earth? He says, so he says he can't know this until you pass the veil of death, right? He says, wherefore I perceive that there is nothing better so he's saying that if this is the case, if man's spirit stays in man until he or she dies, and then it goes back up to God, and then what does God basically say? I mean, God basically says it. It is appointed for man once. Who can, who can finish that verse? Once the and then the judgment. So he's looking at it from that standpoint. Okay? And you won't know where, what, you, what your spirit will experience until after you're dead. Because judgment is on the household of God first, correct? Us. We've already been judged. All we have to do now is stand and get our rewards. But if you or I died right this moment, my body would just lay down on this ground. And you might, some of you may not even be sad, I don't know. But some of you might. The point is, is that my spirit goes to heaven and I won't be able to communicate with you to tell you how great it is, how wonderful it is to be in Jesus' presence. And everything I thought has nothing to do with what I'm actually experiencing. But if there was someone here who died, who was not in Christ, even if they thought they were in Christ, but they were a tear, it doesn't matter. When they die, they cannot communicate with me or you. So where that I did not expect go? to be in Hades, waiting for my final judgment. Say again? Where is that, that spirit go? Uh, uh, it goes to Hades. I understand okay. that, that the spirit of the one that died in Christ, he says, because he it goes says, to heaven. Yeah, away from the body, present with the Lord. Right, but, but the opposite is true. For the person not in Christ, right. away from the body, in Hades you shall go until you're brought up for the great white throne judgment, and then you'll be thrown in hell after your trial. Because Everybody gets tried. Yeah. That's right. That's my point. But that's what he's saying here. So the only thing he can observe is physical life, right? Yeah. And so he's saying here, wherefore I perceive that there is nothing better in this physical life between not being here and being born and, be and that point and dying and going one way or the other, okay? Either way. The physical existence is a set space and time that you are here as a human being. Okay? So he says, I perceive that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his own works. While you're here, enjoy your life in the Lord. And what does God say about that? Enjoy your Lord. He says that. Right? For that, for that is his portion between not being born, or by the time before you're born and after you die, all of the time in between that, this is what he's saying. He's observing all of this. And he's saying, this is your portion. For who shall bring him to see what shall be after him? That's the point. Okay? So I'm going to stop here in a moment. I just want to finish this part here. What Solomon is saying here is that we make more out of living in this physical body, in this physical age, on this physical planet Earth than we should. Many of us live, including Christians, and we're all prone to it, to make it like Joel Olstein, Let me give you that as a prime example, right? He makes a lot of money duping people into thinking that they can have their best life now. 
The prosperity gospel is wonderful. Everybody loves it. I even like it. It's attractive to me. God wants you to be like, like we, heard, we know Benjamin Franklin said, God created beer because he, we know, he wants us to be happy. You see how simplistic that is? So people, if you tell somebody, look, God made you and he don't make no junk and you're special. You're so special. You're going to succeed. All you got to do is put your mind to it and God will do the rest. That's not what he's saying here. Anyway, we'll wrap up. We cherish our lives here way too much and therefore indulge ourselves and expect, and I'll dare say, even demand from others and God himself much more than is expedient. Should I say that again? That's my final word, and we have, I know I have to think of this. We demand because we are so self-important, and it's part of human nature, and it's something we have to tame, like taming the tongue. You're not going to be able to completely do it until you're home with the Lord. That's why we need mercy and forgiveness, right? Okay. This self-importance is not going to stop just because we know it has to. And we'll demand from others, and we'll demand from God. We'll demand from Him much more than is expedient. That's why people want to keep that law and do works because they're demanding that God watch what they do and they want to be good enough. And God says, you can't be good enough, so just take my mercy and shut up. Okay, he's not saying shut up. But he's saying be quiet, be still. Sometimes he has to tell me to shut up, which I will do right now. So can I just finish one point? Because I know we're above the hour. Okay, I won't. No, we don't need the rooster. Our timer's up. Just one thing here. Second Peter 3, verse 5. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were all of old and the earth standing in the water out of water. And he's going on about what's going to happen to the world, right? So he says in verse 14, Never, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, which you didn't let me read because I don't have the time, but you can read it. Second Peter chapter 3, verses 5 through 14. So here's, it. here's the end of the matter. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace, in peace, without spot and blemish or blemish. And that's the end of egoism. And I think he made a good point. So thank you all for attending. Am I demanding more than expedient by asking you to stay for a little more than an hour? <laughs> Next week, we're going we're gonna to continue on, but we're going to continue in chapter four. So um, everybody have a great week. And hopefully, God willing, we'll see you next week.